0: This is ASEN, the Association for the Study of Ethnicity and Nationalism. To find out more, visit ase.n.ac.uk. Thank you very much. Um, I'm very pleased to to be here. Actually, um, being a Things with Professor Anthony Smith was uh, gave me the original push to write Gender and Nation. So it is um, I've I've had a, a long term um, relationship with uh, Asen, and not always theoretical agreements, but um, definitely a uh, association and uh, relationship. Uh, this book, which some of you have got, I bought leaflets, and this is uh, the, the book, The po- Politics of Belonging Intersectional uh, Contestation, in a way is both an expansion and a transformation of the project of the book of uh, gender and nation. Instead of gender, we're talking about intersectionality, Instead of nationalism, we are talking about various political projects of belonging. But basically, the discussion is the same because the way that gender was discussing gender and nation was from an intersectional perspective, and nationalism was discussed uh, as a heterogeneous and uh, multiple and contested uh, project. But since the time that uh, Gender Nation was published um, not only theoretical development has taken place but political and um, social and economic uh, development has taken place locally and globally and in a way the whole project of nationalism itself uh, uh, has been uh, transformed. In the book, I discuss several major contemporary political projects of belonging, but today, of course, I'm going to focus <coughs> mainly on a nationalist uh, projects. But it's okay, we started early, so don't feel that you are late, so it's fine. Um, we, um, uh, but I'm going to start by explaining a bit the whole notion of intersectionality. I don't know how much people here know about it, but this is a major theoretical tool, and some have defined it as the most important theoretical contribution of feminist theory to social and political theory, and I would agree with that um, definition. Then I'm going to discuss and describe a little bit what I mean by belonging and the politics of belonging, and then we are going to move to focus more about contestations of nationalism and how do we look at um, intersectional uh, gender constructions of uh, nationalism. So what is intersectionality? In a way, and I've uh, written about it um, recently, I would argue that intersectionality is what the sociologist among you, I know it's government, but um, I'm a uh, sociologist and we're all uh, interdisciplinary. Um, Stratification theory is the way in which sociologists and and others look at uh, inequality um in terms of power and uh, economic relations and, and social relations and political relations in the society. And there, there have been many um, uh, theories how to deal with it. A lot of them have focused on class. Um, in more recent years, there've been those who focused on race and those who focused on gender and stability and, and so on. But uh, intersectionality, I would argue, is the right approach to look at issues of social stratification because in a way, it encompassed and interrelates and mutually constitutes all of these uh, social divisions. Of course, like all theories, there is more than one version of um, uh, intersectionality theory Uh, theories, and one of the main debates is the additive uh, versus mutually constitutive approaches to intersectionality. The additive uh, approach is very much uh, affected by the hegemonic um, identity politics approach to social divisions, and um, what I uh, mean by that, for example, black feminist um, in in this country in in the 80s, we're talking about the triple oppression of black women as women, as blacks, and as working class or as poor. And um, those of us, and in my work with Floyanthius, which uh, in a way started a lot of the uh, development of this uh, alternative... um, uh, model, we argued against this approach because we said there is, although ontologically you cannot reduce gender into class, into race, into disability, into various other social divisions. Why don't you find places and, and, and sit down? Yeah. So while Ontologically, you cannot reduce the social divisions into each other. When you look at these issues in any empirical, concrete way, there is no meaning, for example, to the notion of woman, which would not incorporate if this woman is black or white, young or old, straight or gay, rural or... um, or urban from the south or from the north, etc. etc. In other words, the meaning of womanhood when we look at particular uh, grouping, individuals or grouping of people who we call women does not have any <coughs> meaning, homogeneous uh, meaning beyond the way that they are constructed in relation to other social divisions. The same thing, when we say blacks, it is not the same if you are a black middle class or working class a man or a woman in Britain or in Nigeria, etc. etc. Therefore, there is no you cannot say that you are oppressed as a black, as a woman, as a working class, because there isn't a separate meaning in a concrete way to being a woman, being a black, being a class, but it's mutually constituted each other. So when we analyze any kind of in, uh, inequality or any kind of social relationship, we have to see that we cannot, like identity politics, have tended to homogenize categories of social divisions with particularly groupings of people but this doesn't work because we are more than just women, more than just black or white or white class and so on. So the intersectionality approach that I say is one in which the the different social divisions mutually constitute uh, each other. Now, this, of course, raised the whole question of how many social divisions do we need to relate to. And I would say that it is not the same in every um, uh, empirical uh, location, both spatially and temporarily, nor is it necessarily the same to different groupings of people even in the same uh, society. Um, For example... um, I mean, the first uh, theories of intersectionality, as I said, it was very much by black feminists, talked about either only gender and race or gender, (laughs) race and class. But, for example, uh, those who were disability uh, activists very much highlighted the notion of uh, disability, which is affecting um, people all the time. And there are, of course, if we're talking about um, particular, um, if we are inquiring particular social locations, then there are social divisions which are very important. But if we compare, for example, different social locations in different parts of the world, then, of course, things which are only, uh, seem as naturalized, which Uh, might have in common to all the people in a particular social location would not be the same in others. Now, some uh, people, because, you know, some have, said I said, only two or three, there are, like Helma Lutz, who have made a list of 14 different um, social divisions that we have to incorporate in intersectionality, Charlotte Bunch even, I think, 16 or, or 18... But they, uh, very often when we write about it, we say gender, class, race, etc., etc. And Judith Butler, for example, made fun of... he said all this etc. can have a, a, either of two reasons. Either that we get tired very easily, so we say gender, race, class, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We, we don't have energy to put all of, of this. Or that because of the liminality of the different social divisions, that in a way, there is no meaning to separate gender, race, class and so on. And I would argue <laughs> that although, as I said before, it's mutually constituted, there is a meaning and there is a very important political meaning that we need to look at the d- different ontological uh, bases; that they are not reducible to each other and that they are not the same. Many would like, there were feminists, they said, all class divisions are just after the the gender uh, results. Many, um, you know, uh, of the traditional Marxists said, all other social divisions are just reflection of class and and so on. We say, no, these are very important and they are very real. But, you know, in different languages, there are many... I mean, when I grew up uh, in Israel, there were seven colors in the rainbow. If you go to a deluxe uh, shop now, you find that in the same rainbow there are about 230 at least different kind of colors. So, of course, the reason and as well as the language that we are using as well as the social and political and economic needs will construct what are the categories. But when we inquire particular questions we have to theoretically and politically decide what are the categories which are important. And this is why although um, and I would separate very strongly between social locations identities and normative values and I'll talk about it more in a minute about belonging. I think that we cannot just talk about social location in a positivist way because political struggles do have roles in making visible social inequalities that were invisible before. Like about disability, like about indigenous people, like about um, you know people who are uh, a, 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 undocumented migrants and, and so on. So it's very easy not to take uh, any account of them, but there are political struggles that no, you have to take account uh, of them. But this does not mean that while you say that this particular social division is central for the lives of this particular um, people, of course gender, race and class up will affect virtually uh, everybody, but there are some particular issues that affect more people in particular locations, particular time and places. This does not mean that this just one category defines them, even though they identify as such. So when we say people identify themselves, for example, as gays, this does not mean that it... This, all these other social divisions do not uh, affect them and uh, uh, construct them at the same time, while identity politics would just define them in this two-dimensional way. If, people don't, if you don't agree, we will talk about it later, but if you don't understand anything that I said, please don't hesitate to stop me. A- a- am I being clear? Yeah, okay. Okay. So this is intersectionality. Now, what do I mean by belonging? I uh, think that we need to differentiate quite strongly between belonging and the politics of belonging. Belonging is about attachment. It's about feeling that you belong to a particular place, to particular people, to particular occasions. But, belonging needs, as I mentioned before, to differentiate between social lo- belonging in terms of particular social locations, and which, as I mentioned before, intersectional, mutually constitutive uh, and, uh, and historical, and then identifications and emotional attachments. Identities are narratives, they are stories that we tell ourselves and others who we are and who we are not, and who others are and who they are not. And identities um, are not always verbal. These narratives can be uh, uh, performative. They are always in a process of uh, becoming, they are contested, Um, they are multiple and they... um, and they are not just rational, the role of emotions is very important uh, to um, recognize in them. But we need to separate between these identifications and social locations. Because if somebody is a woman, does not mean that she would necessarily identify herself primarily as a woman, she might identify herself primarily as a member of a particular ethnic group, racial group, national group. Definitely it does not mean that she would identify herself as a feminist, because this this is why ethical and political uh, values um, also have to be separate. I can recognize myself, for example, belonging to a particular ethnic uh, or national origin or membership, but I can think that this is the most important thing in my life and be very attached to it, but I also can think that nationalism is a bad thing, not just a good thing, and therefore my attitude uh, and, and my normative attitude, it, it will be different. And this is why when we talk about belonging, we have to separate between uh, two. Identity politics automatically collapse social locations, identifications and normative uh, uh, values. But we have to separate uh, between them because the relationship between them is very important to separate. And it's not just a question of identity politics of social movement. You know the UN resolution about um, incorporating more women into peace processes because women are the ones who like peace. Now, we live in Britain. We had Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady. The women really love peace. Can we collapse it in the same uh, kind of way? We have to be very careful and not to put these things uh, together. So, what is the relationship between belonging and politics of belonging? The politics of belonging are the political projects which um, construct the boundaries of the collectivities to which we think that we belong. But this is not a primordial thing. This is a political process. You know the whole kind of debate, um, there's no uh, black in the Union, jack. Can somebody be English and black, or even British and black? Could Jews be Germans under the Nazis? No. And uh, in in the Weimar Republic, they were a very respectable part of the the community. And we have this all the time, this kind of uh, contestations. So Adria Fable uh, defined politics of belonging as a dirty work of boundary... maintenance, the boundary between different collectivities. But of course, it's not just boundary maintenance. It's the construction, maintenance and reproductions of boundaries as a political project. Because in in the book I discuss also a a different kind of like British um, uh, political project of belonging um, that um, uh, some... uh, uh, Said even uh, West Indian babies, even born in England, cannot be English because it's only origin, it's only social occasion, it's primordial. You are either like this because your parents were like this or you can never uh, be. Then we had, I don't know how many of you have heard about the cricket test in which um, a minister in the government of uh, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, said if people like people who were born to their parents came from Pakistan and they were born in Britain, they have British citizenship, they got British education, but in cricket test uh, matches between England and Pakistan, if they support the Pakistani uh, test, that, that means they cannot belong. So it's not even a question of origin, because if you support the English. Uh, Team, even if your parents were born in in Pakistan, that's fine. You are you are okay, but if you support them, that means you cannot be part of the uh, uh, English or, or, or British uh, collectivity. And the, uh, oh, but another one that like New Labour uh, supported, and in some way, come on, all talk about values. Who is a real British one? The one who supports democratic values. As if nobody except the British support democratic values anywhere in the world. Uh, it, uh, it, it, it can be sometimes really uh, grotesque, like uh, Blanket, when he was the home secretary in his uh, infamous document of um, a Secure Border, Safe Haven. I don't know if any of you know this uh, document, he said, what does it it mean to be British? He said two things. One, the English language, as if only British people speak English language, and secondly, support of the values of the Human Rights Act. He himself brought the Human Rights Act from Europe. He himself suspended very shortly after he incorporated part of this Human Rights Act after 9-11 in order... B- because of the kind of so- so-called the global war on terrorism, but to be British is supposedly the one um, who support these uh, values. So we can see that social locations, identification, solidarity, or particular political values can be basis for partic- for different political projects of uh, belonging. But uh, it's um, what is important is that we see that it's constructions, it's a particular political project. And this is political, uh, this political project, what is important to see, that first of all, of course, they are in order to promote particular collectivities, particular ethnicities, particular uh, groupings um, over each other. Of course, if you are for white supremacy, then political project of belonging which says only whites can be English, of course, um, um, that's the political um, aim of it. But the other one is to promote particular leaderships who are promoting this political project because it is not just a way of gaining power or defending from other... um, Uh, collectivities, it is also gaining power within your own community, within your own collectivity because you are the one who are showing the way and therefore you are the one who are dominating. And this is um, very important to always recognize because very often when we talk, especially in political theory and international relationship, we look at collectivities, at nations, at on as homogeneous as if the project is of the nation but the project is not of the nation is of particular leadership of a nation who are promoting particular um, uh, particular issues and particular uh, uh, constructions which give them power not only in relation to others but also in relation to uh, in, in a To people, intra group. Now, I'm one of, in the book, I uh, separate between the political project of belonging of citizenship, which relates to states, and that that relates to nations. I I don't know if I will have much time to dedicate uh, to uh, discuss issues of uh, citizenship, but of course, particular constructions of nations especially of nation-state, the borders of states become also the boundaries of the nations. I mean, if we look most states in the world, definitely in the South and in post-colonial uh, countries, especially around borders, the ethnic composition of the population is very different than that of the majority. Very often it's concentrations of minorities, But, if we talk about the uh, borders, then there is this kind of mythical homogeneity, and it's not only in the South. Look about England, we talk about the island race, but Wales, Scotland, that's not part of England. They are Celts, they are not Saxon. there are a lot of studies about uh, power relations and internal colonialism and all that kind of thing, and we know now with what's happening with Scotland uh, and devolution uh, that, of course, the equation between Britain, let alone England and Ireland, is a myth. But the boundaries and, and the borders, especially natural borders of the sea, of the island, very often are used emotionally as well as, ideologically, as constructing the boundaries of uh, the belonging to a particular collectivities. And we know that in many, many countries in the world, there are contestations about these borders. And, um, I mean, it's not just like, for example, in Israel-Palestine, that it's the same... Uh, virtually the same territory, but for example, what happened with Alsace-Lorraine between France and Germany, how many times it's uh, changed and in, in uh, Eastern Europe and in uh, many uh, parts of, uh, of the world. And therefore, there is a very close relationship between cartography and belonging, but it is not necessarily a natural one, it's naturalized one. It's constructed as if it's natural, but in reality it's ideological, it's contested, and in a way there is um, very uh, often the whole issue of um, contestations of uh, borders and, and boundaries I used in order to defend if, if nationalist conflict very often is for the uh, sake of saving the, the women and children and so on, which I talked a lot about in uh, Gender and Nation, the particular borders and particular locations is a close second in terms of uh, a, a, uh, promoting particular... Um, A national uh, conflict and 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 uh, uh, militarized um, one, and um, and and of course in many cases, especially as I said, in post-colonial countries, borders (coughs) were completely arbitrary. Sometimes there was an attempt to put it next to natural kind of divisions of sea or mountains or lakes and so on, but very often, if you look, I, there was this uh, excellent exhibition in the British Library a few years ago, and you look at the map of the world, like in Africa, you can see that some colonial powers st- sat around the table and just made a straight line with no consideration at all about the ethnic and national tribal uh, or even kind of natural um, um, uh, signatures and so on, and that relates to a lot um, at many parts of the world. Also, as Ben Anderson in the second edition of Imagine Communities uh, pointed out, the meaning of borders have been changing quite um, quite a lot, and it's not just in the past. Since the war in Afghanistan, the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan in many ways became much more defined than it was before. Before there were points and the mountains. Of course, until now, it's uh, pretty uh, transient. But the the whole notion of border, as if there is kind of a fence or a wall between countries, this is really something which is uh, our imagination hold on to it. But in reality, um, very often, it is not a continuous line between um, states. Of course, to complicate uh, everything in terms of politics of belonging, uh, contemporary uh, politics of belonging, it is not just a question of where are the uh, physical uh, boundaries and and borders between collectivities, but the fact that um, Because of the needs of globalization, and so on, and I might uh, talk. If there be time, I might uh, talk about it uh, more uh, uh, towards uh, the end. Most of us, whether we are migrants or not, have more than one belonging. There is local, there is national, there is regional, there is religious, there is uh, occasional. There are many. um, multi-layered forms of uh, belonging, while politics of belonging very often require this kind of zero-sum game of approach that either you belong to this or to that, rather than talking about it in a much more complex way. But if you actually talk to each of you, where do you belong, how do you belong, you belong to more than one collectivity, and it's and and, and you and you um, you associate both in terms of social location, but also um, in in terms of especially identifications and and emotional attachment into more um, to more than uh, one, and of course to construct who belongs and who do not, again, it's very political, it's not just uh, emotional. Um, there is, of course, a whole issue of uh, dual citizenship, triple citizenship. I have a, a friend who has four passports. You would think that, necessarily, it will give people more freedom of movement. and of course, in many cases it does, but sometimes it does not. For example, in the lebanese when Israel invaded Lebanon the last time i don 't know if you remember there was a lull of about a, a few days in which um, Western countries were allowed to evacuate their citizens from the beach in beirut and uh, my friend Istass in, in Canada did uh, a study and what happened was that canadian uh, there were many people who were it was a summer, many Lebanese Canadians went to visit their families in, in Lebanon and wanted to be evacuated. The Canadian authorities that searched for Canadians to evacuate would not evacuate those who also had Lebanese citizenship. Only those who had Canadian rela- uh, citizenship, or maybe others, but not. So in that case, having a dual citizenship instead of giving more choice gave you uh, less choice. And of course, your, the being because belonging here is a question of politics of belonging, your citizenship very often is stratified in relation to what kind of citizen you are, what other citizenship you are, what other ethnic, racial uh, and national uh, belonging you are. So there is nothing naturalized about it, but everybody Speak about it as if it's a given, if it's a, if it's a, and both left and right and in the United Nations they talk about the right for self-determination as if it's a natural, simple, mutually um, uh, exclusive categories. But nowhere, what is self is defined either individually or collectivity, what determination means, and what happens when they are contesting. Uh, claims for self-determination. So this kind of natural rights value for self-determination is something which in the realpolitik is always, con- of almost always, unless you have a very hegemonic social and political order and therefore for a while it is not um, uh, being uh, contested. Okay, so As I said, in the book, I talk about, in addition to nationalism, citizenship, political religion that have become a very major um, of uh, politics. I start the book by describing um, people's reaction after the 7-7 bombing in London. People were not just upset, but also amazed that some of the bombers not only had British citizenship, but were born here, grew up here, had a British uh, education. How could they do it? They belong here and yet they couldn't do it. But one of the bombers, you know, they have this kind of suicide uh, video that they do before. He does speak about my people, but he didn't mean the British in my people. He talked about the Muslim Ummah. As his people, the Muslims all over the world. The fact that Muslim people were uh, murdered in these bombings in, in London, among all the other uh, people that, that were, did not matter. For him, my people who constructed the boundaries of his political project of belonging were not nationalists, they were political religious um, ones. And then, of course, there is um, cosmopolitanism that many people say this is under the days of globalization, this is uh, the only right, and even neoliberalism, the only um, possible political project of belonging. But as I discussed in the book, cosmopolitanism is often also situated and very often exclusionary as well, and with shifting and contested um, boundaries. and um, But at the same time, it is true, uh, you know, Ben Anderson talked about uh, nationalism as a force that replaced, which is, I would contest that it replaced, but like religion, that people are prepared to sacrifice their lives uh, to They like to family, like religion, because of the notion of the sacred, but they don't do it in um, other occasions for their trade union or for this, I mean, this kind of thing. But that's actually not true. People from all over uh, the world went to Spain in the civil war to fight against fascism, and many of them died. You know Rachel Corey and others, activists in the Palestine Solidarity uh, Campaign, have gone, and of course I didn't want to die, but they were prepared to pay. I mean, I think very few people ever want kind of to die, except suicide. But um, to pay the price, so to say that this kind of emotional attachment and absorption of self in a particular uh, collective um, mode of belonging is only about nationalism and religion and family is very misleading, and we do live in a world which is much more complex, also emotionally, not only politically and economically and, 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 and socially. In the book I also talked about the feminist uh, ethics of care as a political, uh, uh, as, as a feminist political project of belonging. I don't think I'll have time to enter uh, uh, today. So. I want to uh, focus about, uh, now about contestation of nationalism and to try and point out why not only we cannot talk about nations as uh, homogeneous, but even just to talk about the gendered aspect of nationalism, we cannot just talk about it, if not in an intersectional way. Uh, first of all, um, as I said, I do differentiate in the book between nation, uh, nationalism and citizenship as, as different political <coughs> projects of belonging, because the naturalized ideology of nationalism very often is that of nation-state. But we do know that, especially these days, there are many uh, nationalist ideologies and collectivities which, of people who do not have their own uh, state, and it is not just people like the Kurds or the Palestinians who are fighting for their own states. For example, the Roma people in Europe have declared themselves as a nation in order to get more rights in the EU because the EU is governed by nation states. So they construct themselves as nations, although they have no uh, reason or will to build their own nation-states. The same thing about many indigenous uh, people, very heterogeneous populations that construct themselves as nations in order, because the poli- political global order is about nations. But we have to separate the rhetorics of nations and nation-states. And in all the theories of, of nationalism or discussion, very often There was this kind of naturalized assumption that the boundaries of civil society and the boundaries of the member of the nation are the same. But of course, we already mentioned all the different uh, minorities, not just migrants, but also historical um, ethnic uh, minorities in in, or regions and uh, nation states. Very much a result of centralization and homogenization kind of political orders whether it's France and, and, and Spain, or it is uh, 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 states in in uh, in the south, but um, at the same time, we do have um, members of the state, of the hegemonic nations who live outside the uh, the borders. And we do know that uh, in recent years there have been cases that people not only had overseas citizenship, but also became presidents in Lithuania, in Ireland. People who lived all their lives, or most of their lives, outside Lithuania and uh, Ireland were appointed or elected or selected to be presidents of this, uh, because the boundaries of the nation and the boundaries of the state been very, very uh, different, and we can talk about it more. So, nations are imagined communities, as Ben Anderson said. But it is not just, as he said, that they are imagined communities because we can never meet everybody who are members of that nation, and therefore they are only imagined and not concrete. We cannot meet all of them because nations also are temporal, not only spatial. They include also members of the nation of past generations and future generations. So in principle, we cannot meet all of them because they are not alive at the same time. Not only that they are too large to, uh, to personally meet. So this is um, uh, very um, important. But at the same time, the imagined beat is very important because we have in our minds constructions, and as I said, these constructions are have been uh, affected by different political projects of uh, belonging, of who belong to the nation and who not. In the same way that uh, feminists um, were talking about the fact that we, we cannot just say that sex is biological while gender is social, because not only biologically there are more than two sexes, but when the, the, the parents, the doctors, the nurses see a baby born, they have already in their mind what does it mean to be a female baby or a male baby. So they look at the baby and say, ah, that corresponds to being a male, that corresponds to being... Uh, a female, and if you know it doesn't exactly like this, we already kind of uh, put it this the same way about nations. we already have a picture in our mind who belongs to a particular nation and who do not belong, and when we meet somebody, we already imagine them as belonging or not belonging, so of course knowledge and, and, and further acquaintance and so on. Uh, might interfere. But what is important is the role of imagination that is prior to the action. So it's not just a question that you cannot meet everybody in order to know who are the people of your community, but that you imagine who belongs and who do not belong to your community before you meet even those that you meet, if it makes sense. Now, uh, before I, I t- now, what is important, and I and before I go to multicultural and, and autochthonic nationalism, I said I talked about the gendered aspects of um, nationalism. In the book um, of gender and nation, I talk about various particular roles that. Um, Uh, in in, in nationalist projects, which are very much um, gendered. For example, women are the biological reproducers of the nation. Let's approach this for a moment intersectionally. Yes, women are the biological reproducers of the nation, but not all women first of all women from particular age groups not younger or older and this is not just a question of uh, of course but there've been various kind of legislations to protect women in various labor laws which are against working with chemicals or whatever anything that can interfere with their uh, Uh, ability to become mothers, but above the age of 45, women were allowed to work in these night shifts with these chemicals. So, in a way, even the law does not homogenize um, women, uh, very often. Moreover, women as biological reproducers of the nation, what happened to women from racial and ethnic and uh, uh, minorities, very often, they are the ones who would not be encouraged to be the biological reproducers of the nation. There have been states in which it was very, very clear, like in Singapore, but there were also some states in the United States and others in which um, educated women were given incentives to have babies while uneducated and poor women were, um, were... uh, were not. There have been um, various um, Depo-Provera and other very unsafe birth controls given very selectively to women of particular racial, ethnic, and economic uh, situations in order to try and prevent. Of course, the extreme was in Nazi Germany in which people who were considered to be feeble or whatever. Oh, sorry. This is my so, so we cannot talk about women as women. We have to look which women, which particular grouping of women <coughs> from particular ethnic, racial, class, ability. There was this UN conference in, in Cairo about uh, reproductive rights and there were some testimonies about disabled women and the obstacles that they had, even in Britain, some of them were, came here as, as students, to be allowed to have babies because this was considered to be not right for them. So even if it kind of as a result for supposedly humanitarian kind of goodwill, rather than let the women make their own kind of decision. So having children is not just issues for personal decision, not just of uh, a state or decision, but it's very of it's very much uh, it's very important that it will be particular uh, women. Same thing about the role of women as cultural producers. Again, it's the hegemonic women from particular hegemonic uh, class, ethnicity, race who are constructed as the cultural um, reproducers of uh, nations or as symbolic uh, boundaries. Um, I remember there was a whole kind of debate about when South of Black Sisters. Um, they uh, asked for funding from uh, GLC to build um, a women's refuge um, for Asian uh, women and the so-called leaders of the community said, but these are not even proper girls of the community, they wear jeans, you know, so they cannot be, you know, proper members or protectives of the uh, community. So it is always not just women, not just men, the same thing about, of course, I can go in and, and talk about um, the, the gendered aspect of, of, uh, of uh, men and nationalist project. It is never homogeneous, all women, all men, or any other of social uh, category. Now, uh, I talked about the fact that belo- belonging and politics of belonging is now much more um, complex than it uh, used to be uh, before. And, of course, con- constructions of political projects of belonging have changed as a result. We see, on the one hand, much more multicultural notions of uh, of a, a, a political project of belonging that sees that nations are not just from the same origin or not even necessarily of the same culture, but united by solidarity, by social cohesion, by attachment to where you live and what you want to do. On the other hand, we have a growth of what uh, Geshe and others called autochtonic political project of belonging in which they... Peop, only the people who really belong, who come from soil, from, uh, and it's not necessarily the origin. If you look, if you compare the English Defence League with the British uh, National Party, the English Defence League have people who are not white, who are not uh, oh, from Christian uh, origin. But what is important is that they all kind of. Allow this hegemony of what is considered to be real English, real British, to be um, terms of belonging. I realize I've talked a lot, so I'm trying to kind of to to finish. And we also have not just the question of, of uh, multicultural and autochthonic but we also have the rise of indigenous um, uh, uh, people. Um, I mean, the British National Party also tried to construct itself as the indigenous people of, of uh, England. But I'm talking also about indigenous people from in settler societies and other uh, uh, post-colonial uh, uh, societies who are rejecting uh, assimilation into the uh, hegemonic majority, not just assimilation in terms of uh, the hegemonic majority, but even the multicultural aspect, because as the Aboriginal people in Australia said, we were here and you are all imposing people, you are the ones uh, who came here. If we become just one other ethnic minority, we give up our right as the people who really belong to this country, or this country um, uh, belong uh, to us. At the same time, we have the rise of diasporic forms of nationalism, in which people do not want to go back to the homeland to live there. Whatever. But at the same time, in terms of emotional attachment, in terms of construction of identity, supporting the homeland is a very, kind of almost kind of cheap and easy way of uh, reaffirming their own belonging to this uh, collectivity and. Uh, many have discussed the result of it. For example, the conflict in, um, in, in Ireland, the conflict in Kosovo, the conflict in the past would not have been possible if it would not from the contributions of diasporic people into this country. And sometimes it's not just money, but like in Kosovo, the people are coming and volunteer to fight and so on. But of course, these days it's not just about... Um, nationalism but also religious uh, um, uh, and, and, and other political projects of belonging. So to conclude um, all these shifting and changing and contestations are very affected by the crisis that we live these days of the, the liberal globalization uh, crisis and um, in, in, I've been uh, started to write about this crisis of as a crisis of both governability of states versus their population and versus, and especially versus uh, uh, the multinationals who are not uh, just in, in their population, and the crisis of governmentalities of the people as relating and belonging to states, to nations, and and other. Uh, collectivities. And um, to link it to what I was talking about autochtonic uh, movement as what I would claim is the hegemonic um, racist uh, mode of racism today. Um, Michael Mann's um, the uh, discussion of the dark side of democracy, the push for homogenization and uh, exclusion and eventual to ethnic cleansing, I think is very important as the other side of the liquid modernity and, and globality and, and, and so on, and if we are concerned about um, issues of uh, ethnicity and nationalism, this is uh, very important, but as Gramsci said, we need, while carrying on the pessimism of the mind, we have to keep optimism of the will. And I think I'll finish now. Thank you.